Welcome back to NL Newsday here on this Wednesday, February the 17th. Now, Canada and China. Yesterday, Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole called on the federal government to work towards moving the 2022 Winter Olympics outside China. O'Toole saying Canada should not be sending athletes to the Beijing Olympics during what he calls a genocide against Muslim minority Uyghurs people. Now, O'Toole called it a genocide, but the Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, has yet to use that terminology. Meanwhile, Canada's Minister of Innovation, Science and Industry earlier this week announced the creation of a coalition with 57 other nations to support a new international declaration denouncing state-sponsored arbitrary detention of foreign nationals for political purposes. And of course, this comes as Michael Spavor and Michael Kovrig remain arbitrarily detained in China. To speak more to all of this, please to welcome TRU's Associate Professor in the Department of Philosophy, History and Politics, Director of Canada and the Asia-Pacific Policy Project and Co-Chair of BC Political Science Articulation Committee, Dr. Robert Hanlon. Robert, how are you today? Pretty good. Well, thanks so much for the time. Always appreciate you coming on the program. Now, I want to start with the announcement here from Francois-Philippe Champagne and this 57-nation coalition. Now, uh, I guess, first and foremost, why is it so important to get this many nations on board for such a declaration? Obviously, something that Canada has been kind of griping with for the last couple of years since the detention of the two Michaels. Is this a step in, in a direction you see of sort of being able to potentially see them... Um, retained by Canada in the near future. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's a positive development. Uh, you know, Canada's been working over the last year to get some type of coalition together. Uh, you know, one thing that I think Canada's learned, uh, especially since uh, you know, it's especially since we've seen the kind of a, a, the Trump administration, previous Trump administration, kind of you know decoupling from multilateral institutions, and kind of been a lot of a lot of uncertainty about Canada's place in the world, and 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 especially its relationship with the United States is how does Canada find alliance and friends in kind of this the current environment so mm -hmm. the declaration against arbitrary detention state to state relations it's it's, it's really important uh, in sending a message that you know countries uh, of liberal democratic uh, values and and or the subscribe to them uh, you know will uh, band together and voice a common voice uh, and and opinion unfortunately though there's one part of it you know if you do look at the dot the nations that did sign it. Uh, it was, you know, 58 nations total, that's including Canada, but there was only one Asian country, which is right. Japan. So, you know, it does show, on the one hand, Canada's built up this coalition, this Canada-led coalition, but on the other hand, it doesn't have much buy-in from the region it's, it's it's essentially targeted at. Right. Yeah, no, that's totally fair. Um, even the, with that being said, though, I guess... Having a total of 58 nations on board here, I mean, that is a pretty significant number. I guess, how how important is just the, the, the sheer number of people signing on to this? You mentioned, obviously, Asia um, not really being a part of this for the most part, but nonetheless, if the rest of the world is sort of making this call, does that push Asian countries maybe in a different direction? Or, or you know, what are your thoughts on, on what this might mean between the relationship between uh, Asia and the rest of the world on something like this? 
Yeah, it's, you know, it's a start. Canada has always been very good at, you know, having big ideas and kind of communicating them outward in our international relations. And, you know, this is one of those examples where we've come together as a big idea and, and brought uh, others together. Um, it's it's early days. Declarations don't have the same kind of substantial, you know, mechanisms that, that a, a country can do beyond kind of naming and shaming uh, those that violate declarations, not in that kind of sense as a, as a legal mechanism. Uh, but it but it is it is a beginning and and I think it's a very you know we look at the way China responded they responded right away they responded right away as this is a Canada led initiative so you know they kind of dismissed they referred to some other countries but we know that you know a lot of those other countries were you know the United States the United Kingdom Germany I mean a lot of our allies uh, so so they it clearly got their attention and that was what its purpose was and so I, I you know I'm optimistic about it but it's a you know it's something that Canada absolutely needed to uh, start uh, pulling together. Now, how much of a difference do you think like this particular step um, is when we're looking south of the border and the new uh, political regime that is in there now? I mean, you, you talked, I think, a little bit off off the top in your initial response, just sort of how the, the change in the administration there going from Trump to Biden uh, kind of opened the door, I guess, for something like this. So how important was that change in government um, in the United States to move something like this forward? You know, I think I think they probably had had U.S. buy-in originally, uh, because if you know pulling something like this together takes a lot of time, so it most likely came um, you know prior to Biden's administration. But what will be interesting is to see you know where the U.S. takes it and if they take a leading role in this or they kind of take a back seat. Uh, this week, this Friday, actually, the G7 is is meeting uh, virtually for the first time with, with Biden, and so we know in kind of an early kind of glimpse uh, the communique that the United States is going to be purposely bringing up what they refer to as the China challenge for the coalition of the, the G7. So, you know, it's top of mind of, of the Biden administration. Yeah, again, China's already kind of refuted this as saying we don't like ideological cliques. We don't, you know, they, they dislike kind of liberal democracies coming together, talking about these kind of things. You know, the, the, the thing is China doesn't have many allies when it aligns with its political system. It does economically but it doesn't with the kind of, you know, communism is not a is not a, a, an admired political system around the world. So even for authoritarian governments don't see it. They still have a different version of political systems. Mm-hmm. So China is very concerned with, you know, Western liberal nations coming together to think of, uh, you know, what a China challenge is. So uh, so I think there's waiting to see what, what the narrative exactly will be from the Biden administration. I suspect Canada is going to be also sitting back waiting to see what how the United States will respond and and I, I think also you know this has been leading into a lot of the stuff this week with uh, you know the Olympics that you had mentioned off the top you know and, and the liberal government not quite coming out saying anything concrete about a boycott or anything because they're also probably waiting to see how the United States uh, is going to take this on over the next couple of months yeah no that don't, definitely does make make some sense and I'm going to get back to that Olympic uh, piece in just one second but one more specific question question related to um, th- this current subject, and that is, you know, you obviously China has, has not come on board and signed this, but at the same point, you know, when we're talking about the case of the two Michaels, um, obviously that, well, everyone believes, right, that's in revenge to Canada's detention of Meng Wanzhou. 
But the fact that they were unwilling to sign this declaration and obviously have refused to call the uh, the detention of the two Michaels anything connection to Meng Wanzhou, I mean, I, I'm assuming probably around the world, internationally, we all kind of view that as a, as a revenge detention. But does this change anything, the fact that they still continue to have these two men in detention but yet are unwilling to sort of sign an agreement saying that they won't be doing that kind of thing? You know, I think China is going to stay the course on on its on its policy right now. But um, what it does is it does open the door for future naming and shaming. And and you know the the idea that you have 57 other countries uh, as well, you know, including and, and on top of Canada, very aware that you know this is possibly not you know it's not very unlikely to be the last time something like this would happen so yes you know Canada's in this situation today but you know tomorrow which one of those other 58 countries will be in in line for you know this type of hostage diplomacy so it sends a very clear message I think it, it will certainly make them uh, you know second guess these kind of things one thing is China talks about being a responsible actor in the kind of you know the international order and so the more norms and the more uh, kind of n- n- international uh, rules and, and, and laws that are introduced uh, are things that China does pay attention to. So this kind of gets them on that level of thinking, you know, this is a, a standard that we're going to start advocating and, and it's something, you know, it might you might disagree with it today, but it's a standard that we're going to keep in, in front and center and you will uh, have to, you know, eventually, uh, hopefully, you know, kind, kind of think of this as, a, as, a, as an international norm that countries need to, to understand. Uh, here with TRU's Dr. Robert Hamlin. Now, uh, moving on to the calls yesterday from Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole, um, you know, trying to find a way to help move the 2022 Olympics outside of China, at least in part because of the quote-unquote genocide on the Muslim minority Uyghurs. Now, the reason I have to put the word genocide in quotations is because Justin Trudeau has refused to use the word genocide. And you mentioned maybe it's because he's waiting on the United States to sort of um, take a position on this issue as well. But I just wanted to get your thoughts on sort of why that word is so important when having a discussion like this. Well, if you open up kind of if you look at the international definition like the, that we use the international criminal court uses for genocide you know it, it's clear it's clearly laid out you know that that these events are, are happening and so but it's it becomes much more problematic for you know leaders I guess you will that would be sitting in in, in office trying to make that claim especially ones that are uh, for Canada in this situation where it often depends on coalitions to kind of be strong the kind of idea that you know it's kind of you know if you're Doing going at it alone, you're extremely vulnerable. But if you have a, a group uh, and through multilateral kind of statements, then then you you know you you're standing much stronger in a stronger negotiating position. So there's there's big trust issues in Canada, not you know not knowing the the consequence if they say it uh, very clearly without other allies. Even though the United States has said it, uh, there is a bit of a, a, a waiting game. I mean, on the one hand, it's very important for the opposition parties in Canada to say this, and, 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 and for, especially for activists and NGOs and academics like myself to, you know, stand up and, and say what, what is happening, you know, this is this shouldn't be happening. But on the other hand, in, in a political role, you have a different responsibility. So on, on the one hand, they have to, Canada does have to think of the larger trust issues that, you know, that do they have uh, support to say it. I mean, the other thing they have to consider is, you know, this is something that can be easily thrown back at them by China, and considering the, the genocide 
genocide committed in Canada against Indigenous populations. You know, there's an, uh, another ironic side to this on the local narrative. You know, his uh, his father, Pierre Trudeau, about half a century ago, when asked about uh, uh, the war in Biafra, which is a, a region of Nigeria that was separating, uh, and there was a genocide taking place, and he was asked by a reporter, you know, what do you say about the genocide in Biafra? And, and Trudeau Sr. said, where's Biafra? And he said it jokingly, but it was all very serious because he understood that if he, he recognized the genocide in Biafra, he w- uh, which was a separatist um, uh, war happening, you know, he would have to kind of deal with, with the separatist uh, movement that was happening mm-hmm. in Quebec. So, so there's, a, there's a dual narrative happening that, that the, the leader in power has to understand that, you know, there is certain vulnerabilities that, they, that they're in and they have to look out for the larger interests of the country. Uh, and then on the other hand, they have to kind of navigate, uh, you know, the, the local political baggage that's going to come with something like that if they do open up that narrative at home. Um, I guess last last piece on this, and I'll, I will let you go. We've been at this for a while here, Dr. Hanlon. But uh, just in terms of of um, a protest, I guess like this, right? And we're talking. That's essentially what this is: is is O'Toole's call on the Olympics. But going back to that, is um, not refusing or refusing to take part in the 2022 Olympics in China uh, would essentially be a, a protest of the games and a protest against what China is doing within its own borders. Now, with that being said. How big of an impact do you think that would actually have on what China is doing? I can't imagine they would care too much about what Canadian athletes are abstaining from. Obviously, you would need a much larger scale of athletes and and countries to get on board with something like that. Um, But would uh, a boycott, essentially, of the Olympics, if it were to be held in China in 2022, actually do anything? I know, you know, China loves the Olympics. It's pretty well documented that they care about their athletic performance in that kind of an environment. Um, And obviously, uh, assuming the world is back to some sense of normalcy in 2022 it should be a money maker for the country but all of that said uh, what sort of pull does that even have would it have much of an impact it, it wouldn't. I, I think in, in the in Canada case, if Canada were to say, you know, again, go it alone, and that we're we're boycotting the Olympics, it would, it would have a pretty limited impact. And in fact, China might actually, and other countries might might welcome this because Canada does quite well at Winter Olympics. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so it'd be true. one less medal competitor. Um, now, on the other hand, though, if it was a large segment of of countries boycotting, it would be extremely embarrassing uh, for the Communist Party. Uh, but again, with that said, the United States and by Biden has said that they're not going to boycott and uh, they're, uh, you know, they have said they're not going to uh, also call for it to be moved. So, you know, we're still waiting to see the the, the tone that comes out of the United States around the, those statements uh, as we move closer. But it would be very hard to do it. I, I mean, the, the boycotts of the Olympics, uh, you know, haven't really happened since the Cold War, since 1980 and 84 Olympics. I mean, the Olympics are inherently political. They, they come off as saying we're a political event. And the, you know, the IOC goes to great lengths to try to make it a political, non-political event. But, but it, is a, it is a premier geopolitical event where countries go up against each other. You know, they showcase their spending on their sports. They showcase their athletes. So, so you know, it is a very political event. And sports is political in China. You can just think of the way, uh, you know, the last few, you know, think of the NBA in China last year, you know, or, the, or, or some controversy around some soccer leagues in China. You know, so it 
is sports is even political in China. So so it is a very political thing. But again, we have to be careful because when the 2008 Olympics were called the Genocide Olympics in China, now they're calling the 2022 Genocide Olympics in China. But again, China can easily throw this back uh, on this type of hypocrisy with the West saying, well, you know, you hold the Olympics in Russia, which has a genocide, had a genocide going on in Chechnya. You have the U.S. holding Olympics, but you also have human rights violations in Iraq and you have Guantanamo Bay and, and, you, and, you, and you're going to call us a genocide, but Canada has... You know, cultural genocide going on with indigenous people, and and so it goes into this really kind of iffy world of of, of who's to blame. I think a much more, um, you know, a much more, um, I think, pragmatic approach to this would be really kind of questioning, um, you know, what kind of other actors are involved. We'll probably see, uh, you know, more pressure put on corporate sponsors coming up over the next year. Um, but as a political boycott or a political, um, you know, asking to be moved, uh, it's, it's not, I don't see it as, as very uh, realistic. Yeah, no, me neither, but uh, we'll see what happens. It's going to be, a, you know, a, an interesting couple of years as we see this, or I guess one year as this plays out. Uh, Robert, as always, appreciate the time. Thank you so much. Great insight, and uh, hopefully we'll do it again soon. Great. Thank you. My pleasure. All right, there you go. Dr. Robert Hanlon, TRU's Associate Professor in the Department of Philosophy, History and Politics, Director of Canada and the Asia-Pacific Policy Project, and he's also the co-chair of the BC Political Science Articulation Committee, Dr. Robert Hanlon. Always appreciate him having uh, coming on the program, and uh, really, really great insight when it comes to what's going on between Canada and China.